Well, I was uh, contemplating what the Lord wanted to say this morning, and I got three words this week. And those three words are home or family, the kingdom, and the poor. Family, the kingdom, and the poor. Before I get to those three words, I want to just say a few things. A couple of weeks ago, I shared a message about the power of the presence. I don't know if you were here for that or not, but um, one thing that I, I found is that the Bible says in the Psalms in various places that fullness of joy is found in God's presence. Right? And that's something that our, our society and we all seek so much is to find happiness, is to find joy. And so my message was that we could find it in God's presence. And I was looking at, we were looking at the life of the, this guy named Joseph in the book of Genesis and talking about these six or seven places where he was going through tough situations, but because of the presence, he was able to find an answer for those situations and able to deal with them. For example, in one situation, his brothers wanted to kill him. That's pretty bad, right? Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Okay, so his own family members were wanting, were wishing him dead. So they did the second best thing to them. Instead of killing him, they let him off easy and they sold him into slavery to some foreign travelers. But you know what's remarkable, and this was one of the points I was making there, is that despite this wrongdoing, Joseph was able to find the presence and therefore not become bitter against his family. Remember the first word that I mentioned was family and home. Some of us have really difficult family situations. Don't raise your hand if that's you, but maybe you can relate with that. You have difficult family situations. It could be something like your grandson going through an accident that Pat was just sharing I mean, that Dick was just sharing. You know, it could be something like, you know, just divorce, being in your family. That's difficult for anybody, no matter how prevalent it becomes. You know, it could be all kinds of things. It could be just conflict, constant conflict in your home. Those problems can hinder us from advancement in the kingdom. See, that's the second word, the kingdom. They won't hinder us because God is able to overcome all those problems. Right, Clyde? God's able, and He will in His timing. He'll fulfill what He's promised to us. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your presence in this place, Lord. We thank You that when we come here, You meet us. Lord, I thank You that I don't have to get up here and, per, and persuade You to come, Lord, because You're here. God, and You've already healed people this morning. So really, we could go home with that, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that You would speak to us more words, Lord, that would give us hope, Lord, that would give us faith, God, that would help us to fulfill the destiny for which we are called. We thank you and praise you. And everybody agreed together. Amen. Amen.
I don't know how many of you guys like mission statements, but they're everywhere these days. We went to Chick-fil-A the other day, just enjoying a nice lunch. I noticed on my way out, Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, he's got his picture with some other workers from Chick-fil-A, and they've got their mission statement right there on the wall. I couldn't recite it to you because I didn't memorize it, but it's something about being the best self-serve restaurant that when you come, you'll want to come back. I don't know, something like that. Have you ever noticed that? You can get on websites for, I don't know, a glass company or something, and they've got a mission statement. You know, mission statements are everywhere. I don't know if you like mission statements or not. Byron and I have often had the conversation that sometimes mission statements aren't worth the paper that they're printed on because they're just words on a paper, (laughs) you know? But as I was looking at some things, and, and actually I read a scripture that Byron had conveyed to the leadership this week, I noticed that Jesus had a mission statement. Isn't that interesting? And maybe, where that, maybe that's where that came from, that some guy was reading the Bible in Luke chapter 4 and was like, man, this is Jesus' mission statement. It must mean that he had a target to shoot at. He had the bullseye that he was shooting for. This is my goal. This is what I'd like to accomplish here on earth. And so maybe he came up with a mission statement and, you know, taught that to others and the ball just kept rolling, so to speak. Um, why, do, why do we have, you know, why do we have these things? If you look at uh, John, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, if you have your Bible, if not, it'll be up there on the screen as well. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. I felt like, before we look at that, I felt like the Lord wanted me to continue to study Joseph. So I was like, Lord, how does family, kingdom, and the poor have to do with Joseph? And He showed me that Joseph was a part of a fairly dysfunctional family. Joseph, because of his responses that I mentioned, took an unlikely path to the top of a kingdom. And as a result of that, Joseph had an unprecedented ministry to the feeding of the world. So you could say because of the worldwide famine at the time, it resulted in Joseph's ministry to the poor. Okay, so that's where we're headed this morning. And I want to connect Joseph with Jesus. Okay, because you see, Joseph in a lot of ways is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. Okay, so we're going to look at that and relate that and how that relates to us and how we can be a part of Jesus' mission statement. So, John chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth. I'm going to back up just a little bit to get some background, okay? So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now before we read this, prior to this, Jesus had just been baptized and anointed with the Holy Spirit in power. And then he went off into the desert for 40 days and he fasted and ate nothing 
and communicated with God, but was also tempted by the devil. You guys probably know that story. Now, at least in the book of Luke, I think there were some other things that happened in between, but after this, this is where it picks up in Luke, in John, in Luke chapter 4. I'm sorry. He came to his hometown. Everybody say he came home. He came home. So there were probably family there. They heard that Jesus was back in town. They came to see him preach. There were some other people there that knew him as well. And this is what he said to, this is what he read in the Bible. The Bible of the day. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he simply closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And then they began to ask some other questions. Now wait a second. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? What's up with him making all these claims about he's the fulfillment of this scripture? He's that little kid that we saw growing up. I know their family's got problems over there. That couldn't really be the guy. Well, that's what Jesus claimed. And so he made some other statements to them like, Well, guys, a prophet's not accepted in his hometown. You know, and I knew when I came to you that the great things that I'm going to do in these other places, it's probably not going to happen here. And they got a little bit irritated at that. And the next thing you know, they're wanting to run him out of town. In fact, the Bible says they even tried to run him off a cliff. So they got so mad at him that they actually wanted to kill him. Does that sound like Joseph? Joseph is this young guy He comes to his brothers and he goes, guess what God showed me? I'm going to be this great guy. You guys are going to bow down to me. That's why they hated him so much. And they, like we said earlier, they wanted to kill him. Now there's some difficult things, you know, about coming home and family. Um, Ken Helser, you know, one of our good friends, uh, he's a great artist. And he has a painting and the painting is completely black and white. It's a black and white painting of a farmhouse. And out in the backyard of this farmhouse is a clothesline with laundry on it. And the only thing that has color on it in this painting is the laundry hanging on the clothesline. It's various shades of color. And there's a caption on the painting that says, Home is where you get to live out what you like to talk about. We have that little, a little version of that painting sitting on our kitchen sill right there over the sink. Home is where you get to live out what you like to talk about. 
You see, it's easy for me to talk a few weeks ago about the power of the presence and get all psyched up about it and say, yes, Lord, more of your presence. And then you go home. What happened to the presence? Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way sometime. And I don't want to be a damper on the power of the Word of God because that's not my intent. Because I definitely believe that word that I preach from my own mouth. The point is, is that the home and the family can be a challenging place to live out what you really believe. Isn't that true? Now when I was thinking about Joseph, I felt not so discouraged. Because even though you might feel like, man, am I just being a hypocrite? I go in there and I worship God like crazy on Sunday and then I come home and, you know, I do this or this happens or this is going on. How come it's not different? I just don't want you to be discouraged. Okay? Because God loves to do extraordinary things with ordinary people like you and I. And the good news is, we don't have to have it all together in order to be used by God. You don't have to have every family issue worked out to the T in order to pray for your coworker that they would be healed. God's bigger than that. Remember, because one of the big stories of Joseph's life is that it wasn't about him. It was just that he found the presence and it was all about God. And he always gave God all the credit. So speaking of Joseph's family, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, let's take a look at that. It says that when his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, they grew to hate him. They wouldn't even speak to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat. All of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up and your bundle circled around it and bowed down to mine. His brother said, So, you're going to rule us? You're going to boss us around? And they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way he talked. Now, besides this, Joseph's mother died when he was a young person. I don't know exactly how old he was. I'm thinking maybe a young teenager. Somewhere in there. 13, 14 maybe. She died when she was giving birth to his younger brother, Benjamin. I was asking Jeremy Hodges um, this week. I asked him, Jeremy, what is it like to grow up without your mother? Because, you know, Jeremy at 13 years old, his mother passed away suddenly. And so his family was left without their mother. And uh, Jeremy and I are good friends, so I can ask him personal questions like that, <laughs> by the way. And um, he said, well, the hardest part is I miss having someone to talk to. Someone to tell you everything's going to be okay when you're having a hard time. You know? And I thought, Joseph had the same problem. 
he had a fairly insecure and self-reliant father who favored him above all the other brothers. He was obviously a good guy, but I, I would argue that jo- Jacob had some real issues. Okay? We won't have to go into that. All of his brothers hated him because he was kind of maybe a little bit arrogant and spoke when he shouldn't have or what have you. The Bible doesn't really tell us about his stepmothers, you know, because his father had four wives back in that day, so we'll just equate that to being his stepmothers. But I'm kind of of assuming that they probably didn't like him a whole lot either since their boys didn't like him. You know, and maybe that's why one reason also that the boys didn't like him so much is because the mothers, you know, were maybe... uh, indirectly kind of not so fond of Joseph as well. So here you have a young guy whose mother died and left him with that pain, who has a father with issues and has stepmothers and brothers that really dislike him. That's some serious issues to overcome. Jesus, what about him? Mark chapter 6 Verse 1 is, the, uh, is another similar passage, parallel passage to the one we read. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given him, that such mighty works are f- performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives. Relatives, see, family. In his own house. In his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I love that part. He could do no mighty... Well, except that he healed these people over here. So he could do a little bit of work there. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. You, You see, I think this. I think that in the home, in your family reunions or whatever it is, that can be one of the most difficult places to really feel like God can use you in a powerful way. Because of maybe some tensions or, you know, some hurt. You know, as a, if you're a child in the home, maybe you're hurt or you're offended or you're rebellious or all of these things. You know, I have a brother who, as Andy would call him, he's a pre-Christian. I think you use that phrase, pre-Christian, yeah. He doesn't know Jesus yet. And I have the hardest time talking to him about God. I could talk to just about anybody about God, but talking to him is really difficult. I don't know if anybody has ever had that problem before. You know, and it's, there's something about your family that's just hard to, to minister to in some situations. So Jesus had the same, had the same problem. He couldn't minister there as effectively as other places. So again, let me just drive this point home. That just because your family situation 
or your personal life is not perfect, doesn't measure up to maybe what you think mine is, that would be a mistake, doesn't disqualify you from helping other people. That's all, that's all our mission is. You see, what did Jesus say His mission was? He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. See, He said this to His family. He said, it, you know, it's me. You can personalize this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Matthew because He has anointed Matthew to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent Matthew to heal the brokenhearted. Please put your name in there where it says me. That's our mission statement. Above all other mission statements. And we have, some, we have a mission statement here for River Life Fellowship to provide an atmosphere full of the presence of God where any person may be healed, restored, and released by the power of God into His calling. Okay, a great mission statement in light of Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is our mission, folks. Okay, let's hammer this point home to us. This wasn't just Jesus' mission. Jesus went on to heaven and said, Now your turn. You do it now. It's your turn to heal the brokenhearted. Set the captives free. Sight to the blind. By the way, that's not just talking about physically blind people. It could be that, but they're talking about spiritually blind people. There's so many people, they can't see what God's doing around them. They don't see and hear what God's doing and saying. Oh God, please open their eyes to see. Let my brother see the beauty of you, Lord. That he wouldn't walk in this darkness any longer. The kingdom. Because of Joseph's... I'm sorry, I skipped... Yeah, the kingdom, sorry. Lost my train of thought there for a moment. Because of Joseph's responses to the presence of God, he took this unlikely path to be the second in command of this incredible empire in the world the kingdom of Egypt. So Joseph stepped into a place of authority and prominence in the kingdom. Now obviously Jesus possessed the kingdom, right? His was the kingdom. He is King Jesus, the King of the kingdom. <laughs> Hebrews teaches us that He rent the veil okay, that existed in the temple, that we could come before God in all His holiness that we are now a kingdom of priests, okay? That we can walk before the very presence of God and stand. And not only stand, but we can communicate with the Father, with God. This is the privilege that Jesus had, and now He's given us the privilege. He's given us the responsibility, us the anointing. Okay, now I want to look at three things that Joseph and Jesus had that contributed to their effectiveness in the kingdom. Number one was wisdom. Joseph, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 39, 
So Pharaoh said to Joseph, You're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is as qualified as you in experience and wisdom. Okay, God gave Joseph wisdom. How about Jesus? Mark 6, verse 2. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? You remember even as a young boy in the synagogue, he was teaching. And people were like, Where did this wisdom come from? He was fully man, yet he was fully God. It's incredible. So wisdom is something that we need in the kingdom. Anointing. Joseph. Again, chapter 41, backing up to verse 38. It says this, Then Pharaoh said to his officials, Isn't, the, isn't this the man we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has God's Spirit in him like this? Who has God's Spirit in him? This pagan king recognized an anointing upon him. That's what the anointing is. It's just the Spirit of God that's upon us to carry out the mission that God's given us. And how about Jesus? Obviously, He was anointed. Let's look at Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. There it is. The beginning part of that mission statement. The Spirit of God is upon Him. So, wisdom, we need anointing, and third, we need everyone's favorite, humility. Joseph, Genesis 41, 15 and 16. Uh, sorry, let me read that the old-fashioned way. Genesis 41, 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I was making this point in the last message, is that Joseph maintained this humility. No matter whether he was in prison without parole, or whether he was living high on the hog, so to speak, as a leader in Egypt, he maintained his humility. Now what about Jesus? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Start in verse 5. All right. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The, on, the, the, the only Son of God was able to submit himself, was able to humble himself to this point to even become a man. And that's something that we have a hard time relating with since we are one, a man or a woman. But if you can just fathom that mystery that God Himself could become flesh, it's pretty awesome. 
So the three words that God gave me were family or home, the kingdom, and the poor. Okay, let's look at the last one. Joseph ministered to the poor. Genesis 41, verse 56 says, As the famine got worse all over the country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold emergency supplies to the Egyptians. The famine was very bad. Soon, the whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. The famine was bad all over. Okay, so people were starving all over the world. And Joseph had what they needed. He had a ministry to the poor. And I have to think, you know, he didn't have to do that. He'd be like, well, sorry. Times are bad. You should have stocked up. You should have been ready for Y2K. You know, you, sh- you should have done it. I mean, it's uh, tough luck. But Jesus, as a foreshadowing of the mission statement, I'm sorry, that Joseph, foreshadowing the mis- mission statement of Jesus, said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. And in this case, the good news was an action. It was giving them something to eat. You know? And of course, Jesus... His mission statement in Luke 4.18 that we've read over and over again was that. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, what is the poor exactly? You ever thought about that? The Bible says that... uh, What is it? The poor in spirit will see God? To the poor, uh, in his commentary, Matthew Henry says... To to the poor, to those that were poor in the world, whom the Jewish doctors disdained to undertake the teaching of and spoke of with contempt. For those who are physically poor, who don't have money, in other words. But also to those who were poor in spirit, to the meek and to the humble. And third, and to those who were truly sorrowful for sin. Those are the poor that Jesus is talking about. To them, the gospel and the grace of it will be welcome, and they shall have it. Okay, so you may be physically poor in here this morning. You, hopefully, we need to ask God that we can be poor in spirit. That we can have the humility to say, you know what, God, I really don't have anything. I have nothing, but you've got it all. You've got, your presence has the answer that I'm looking for. That's being poor in spirit and being sorrow, having sorrow for our sinfulness. That's being poor. You know, Jesus brought His message for all of those people. So therefore, not only should we maintain that attitude, but we should look for other people like that in order to deliver this message too. Because that's what Jesus was looking for. So finally... Your family may not be perfect. Those close to you may not think you can do extraordinary things. But remember, God loves to use the ordinary people to do the extraordinary things. So I hope I'm ordinary because Joseph was ordinary, as were his grandfather and father, great-grandfather. They were ordinary folks that just responded to God. Moses was pretty ordinary. 
If you look at Jesus' family tree, if you've ever studied that before, he had some very ordinary folks in there that were really messed up <laughs> in his family. The kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field. It's a pearl that's priceless. How much do we value it? So I was saying that we needed wisdom, anointing, and humility in order to find the kingdom, in order to advance the kingdom. So what should we do if we need wisdom? James 1, chapter, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. How many people need wisdom for a situation in your life right now? You have it on the forefront of your mind. Okay, well, we can ask God. You can ask God. It says He will give it liberally. To me, that means a lot. A lot of wisdom for this situation. Second, we have only just to step into the anointing that's already ours. The anointing is ours because the Spirit of God lives in us if we've accepted Him, if we've chosen His sacrifice, if we've invited the Holy Spirit to fill us. He's given us a calling, therefore we can just step into that. And third, Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11, I think is very key in everything that we're seeking to do. And it says, finally, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ if any comfort of love, and if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, which is what we read before, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the kingdom in wisdom and humility and walk in the, in the anointing, we can find the kingdom, we can find the presence we can remain humble in our church family, in our fam physical families, and we can be poor in spirit, be humble in other words, be um, constantly have an attitude of repentance before the Lord. The last scripture, Matthew 5, 3, just says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know... Um, if you want the kingdom as badly as I do, I mean, I really want to find out. The king, I want to find the kingdom of God in a real, in a powerful way, in a tangible way. 
And I think that's the reason that we're doing the things that we're doing here. Is in our, our attempts to cooperate with what God's doing. In ministering to the poor in a variety of definitions of what the poor means. Um, and uh, I hope that the Lord spoke to you about something this morning. And I, I want to conclude with just another um, offer for prayer and ministry for anyone who is sick here this morning or anyone who has any needs that you'd just like for someone to pray for you about. So if we could just have some people from our ministry team come up right over here. And as we conclude this morning uh, with this last song, you can feel free to be dismissed or to come up here and uh, receive prayer and whatever your need is. I just wanted to add to what Matthew was saying just a little something that a few weeks ago, right when my grandfather passed away, um, my mom called me that morning before the funeral and passed on what she had heard. Um, it was actually T.D. Jakes that morning say, and it's something that goes along with this, but also just has helped me so much. And the fact that it is the Lord in and through us, that lives the life and the le- the fact that this is the thing is that we don't have to make the Lord look good. He is good. And I just loved that. I just took a hold of it. I could say it every day. You know, the fact that He is good. He's good. And when His Spirit, when we allow Him to take over our lives, to when He's living in and through us, when He's, you know, giving unto the poor, when, he, when we're allowing His love and his peace to come. It's not us. We don't have to try to make our lives look, you know, so good because we're worrying about people believing in Jesus and knowing He's good. We don't have to worry about that. He is good. He's good without us. You know, it's just the great thing is is that we get to ask Him to come and fill us up and use us And we don't have to worry about making Him look good because He is good. So I just wanted to pass that on because I love that.